book of Philippians. I started that last Wednesday night. Book of Philippians. Now Paul wrote this from a jail cell. There seems to be some controversy as to where it was. He was in jail for two years at Caesarea, but don't think it's there. I think he's in jail at, in prison at Rome. And that's because he talks about the day of Caesar's household, Greece. So that pretty much tied it down that he's at, at Rome. But at any rate, Paul is in prison. He said, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. He's not talking about Ohio, nothing like that. He's talking about whatever condition he's in, what his circumstances are. And Paul set a tremendous example of that. He said, I know how to be abased, that's brought low. I think we just read something about that, didn't we? And he also said, I know how to abound. That's have everything going my way or not. He said that I must be content. We need to learn that. There's a formula for a life that if, if, if uh, secular psychologists, psychiatrists, if they had a pill to give you that, they'd make a lot more money. Contentment. But it's got to come from God working in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Being dissatisfied, and there's a sense in which we ought to be dissatisfied, I'm dissatisfied with my production. It ain't near enough. It could be a lot more. I'm not satisfied with my level of faithfulness to God. It could be a lot better. That sense, I am not satisfied. But David said, or Job said, I'll be satisfied when I wake in thy likeness. He believed in the resurrection. So, that's when we ought to be satisfied, is when we awake in his likeness. Paul and Timotheus, we'd, we'd call that Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ. Now you look back when Paul was in Philippi, Timothy was with him. And so to all the saints in Christ Jesus, and we've been talking about this, there's some Catholic on the Facebook Catholic, uh, he calls himself a bishop. He's not a bishop. Uh, they, the Catholics stole some terminology from the Bible. And then they perverted it. But uh, these saints, they stole that, per, uh, that terminology. They make their saints, they make dead saints. Paul wasn't writing to dead saints. He was writing to live Holy people that God had made holy in Christ. Men and women, saints of God in Christ, which are at Philippi, not underground, but they're above ground. And they're alive and well in Philippi when he's writing to them. With the bishops and deacons, and there you go again. Bishops. There are, there are three terminologies used for a pastor. Bishop, elder, and pastor. And they all apply to the one office. 
bishop, the Greek word episkopos, one who takes the oversight. Elder, presbyteros, one who has attained unto maturity in the faith. Poimenos, feeder of the flock, shepherd, that's a pastor, and that's what he does. So all three terms are legitimate for a pastor. I wouldn't want to use the term bishop because it has been so perverted by the Roman Catholic Church and some Protestants too. Uh, bishop is just another word for pastor because it is descriptive. Uh, I don't. I like elder. Somebody. Some of our brethren use the term elder. Not not necessarily old in age, but mature in the faith and the scriptures. And then pastor, feed the flock of God over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseer. So that's who he's writing to. And deacons, diakonos, that means servants. Deacons are not church bosses. They are servants of the church. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace precedes peace in every case. And so I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's remembering those. Now, Paul went to Philippi. And he had a rough time there. You read in the book of Acts chapter 16 and you find out that he, he calls rights. I think, I'm not sure, I think it's uh, Rolf Barnard. It may not be him, but it probably is. Derek and I like his preaching. He or somebody said, Everywhere Paul preached, he either brought a revival or a riot. One of the two. And there in Philippi, he brought some riots. Because he said, oh, well, he should have just preached the gospel. Well, actually, he, he caused the, the idol sellers to go out of business. You mean he got his nose into business like that? What well, that just stuff? He ought to keep his nose out of. Reckon you could hear that today? You reckon you could hear that from church members today? Sure you could. Because I don't think a preacher ought to get into stuff like that. Just leave it alone. Just stick with the gospel. Well, you gotta preach you gotta preach the whole counsel of the word of God. Of his own will begat he us with what? The word of truth. <laughs> so, yeah. Now he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. And I don't think he's lying or exaggerating there. I think he's telling the truth for you all making requests request with joy. And we talked about Wednesday night how many times he uses the word joy and rejoice being in a prison cell. Now, I don't know. I hadn't been in one for a long time. I've been in jails visiting people. Thank you. I've been in jails visiting people. Never been behind the bars. Thank the Lord up till now. It may, it may change. It could do it with what we got going on in this country now. It could change. But anyway, uh, you drive by that now. I don't know Frankfurt Pike, that jail. 
Why, it looks like one of those great big thoroughbred barns. It doesn't beautiful thing. They got it fitting right in with the neighborhood. Now, I don't, I've been inside that, not very far in there, but it's, it's all painted up and bright, got lights and all that stuff. I don't know how good it is inside, but I'll tell you one thing. There ain't a jail in this country can match the jail that, Jesus, that Paul was in. Not a one of them. Not, a, not at all. And in, in Acts 16, when they put him in the dungeon, that's the stink hole. That's down at the bottom. And there are no sanitary facilities. Your facilities is right where you are. And he inside us were put in stocks. They ain't going no place. Can you imagine the horrible stench that was there? But then you see what they were doing at midnight. They were singing, praying, and singing hymns. The last word in being content in whatsoever state you're in. So, he says, "For I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing. Now that word confident there is a pretty, pretty uh, serious word. Absolute assurance, confident." Of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I don't know what the Armenians do with this verse. But he's telling us exactly. The history. Of a believer. This is the history of every believer. They had a good work performed in them by God. Or they wouldn't be a believer. But he which hath begun a good work in you. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Alright. Man. What doctrine. Even as it is meet or suitable for me. To think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and there he is in prison. That's what his bonds are. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, he's not praying that you'll get a new car. He's not praying that you'll get a better retirement. He's not praying that you get a raise in your Social Security. He's not praying anything like that. Look what he's praying for. He's praying... That your love may abound more, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Well, knowledge of what? Knowledge of God 
through his word. And as that knowledge grows, your love will grow for the Lord and his people and his word. Plus, your judgment will grow. We got to use judgment, folks. We're in Proverbs. One, some of the synonyms for wisdom, or more or less synonyms, but the words that are in connection with wisdom. Uh, prudence, judgment, equity, and there's many more, and they all work off of that wisdom that we learn how. What is wisdom? Well, some say it is it is the capacity. To know how to do what's right. Of course, you got to know that, that that means what God says is right. Not what man says is right. What man says is right right now is that you go ahead and murder your baby. Some of them even saying you murder them after they come out of the womb. That's what man says is right. Man says two men can get married. Man says two women can get married. That ain't right. God doesn't say that's right. So wisdom wouldn't say that. Heathenism, God hatred would say that, but not wisdom, not the wisdom of God. All right, so he says, by verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent. See, you got to have, you got to have wisdom, knowledge, and judgment to approve Things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ. I wanted to get this. I know I did this Wednesday night. But I'm do this again. Get, get this whole book. Chapter 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things. But every man also on the things of others. And I want to get that verse again. Because that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, he says over there, look not every man on his own thing. Just say that's your own business. That's your own things. But every man also on the things of others. It's not wrong to look on your own business. Matter of fact, we need to look on our own business. We need to take care of our own business. But he says also on the things of others. Life cannot be all about me. The life of a child of God cannot be all about me. You know some people you talk to start talking. They say well that's enough about you. Let's talk about me. <laughs> and a lot of people like that. But that can't be what our life is about. Our life is not all about, oh, I like this, I don't like that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Uh, nobody cares about me. Well, do you care about anybody else? God says we're supposed to look also on the things of others. 
It is our business what happens with other people, especially in our church context. So, and being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. See what it says in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Holy Spirit and all of those, and I think they'll match up with the fruits of righteousness. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. What things have happened to you, Brother Paul? Well, here he is in prison. Don't know how long he's going to be there or if he'll ever come out. But these new believers have a rough time with this. Paul says, you've got to understand. These things that have happened to me are a result of the determinate will of God. Either by his causative action or by his permissive. But he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And even my being beat, practically killed several times, being in prison these multiple times, every bit of that is a result of either the causative or the permissive will of God. And it it is all fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, as well as this, verse 14, or verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ, my imprisonment in Christ, are manifest, made known in all the palace. What I talked to you about the creature teachers this morning, and about the lesson of the spider, where's that spider spin its web? In hovels and palaces and everything in between. That spider makes no difference where he is or where she is. She'll spin that web. She doesn't care where she is. Wherever she is, she spins her web. And that's what we must do. And that's what Paul is doing. Spinning his web. Preaching the whole counsel of the word of God wherever and whenever he's there. And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing. Waxing means growing. Growing confident by my bonds. Now that they hear, see that I'm in prison and the gospel is still going forth, they're gaining confidence, boldness in me. Now are much more uh, bold to speak the word without fear. Well, it's not, it's not foolish fear that nothing's going to happen. That's like the three Hebrew children Brother Dave was on this morning. Uh, I heard a fellow one time, remember Brother Braun used to make us draw a name, and then you'd get up and preach a, preach a text that he'd get, that, that text would be there. Heard one fellow preach one, one time, got up, and, and said, I mean, it's all of a sudden, you've got to be there, and everybody's going to criticize you. And there he's, he's supposed to be a big shining, big, Billy Graham striker, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, he, he drew that three Hebrew children. He said, now the reason those three Hebrew children, they weren't afraid to go in that fire. They knew the Lord was going to deliver them. 
And that is 100% false. They didn't know any such thing. And they flat out said it. We've not, we've considered this matter carefully, O king. We know what you can do. We know what God can do. I'm paraphrasing. If God determines to deliver us, he can. But even if he does not determine to deliver us, we will not bow to your idol. No, they had no idea what was going to happen. They said, no, we will not. And they didn't run. Dave and I have talked about this before. He fell down. Or they fell down when they went into the fiery furnace. He did seven times. But them guards didn't throw them in the fire. Not on your life. You know what happened to them guards? When they opened up that door to that bar, the fire came out and killed them. They ain't no shape to throw anybody in anywhere. Why did they bow down when they got in there? They weren't throwing in there. They went in there of their own power. They bowed down because that fourth one in there was likened to the Son of God. There was a Christophany, a pre-manifestation of Jesus Christ, and they purposefully, willfully bowed down at the feet of Jesus and worshipped Him right in the midst of that fire. And when they come out of the fire, they didn't have a smell of smoke on them. The Lord did deliver them. But that's not why they went into that fire. Paul has no idea that he's going to live after this. I remember the last time he went to Jerusalem. In Acts 20, they're trying to tell, tell Brother Paul, don't go there. He said, they're waiting. They're lying in wait for you. They're going to get you. And you may even die there. And I love Paul's answer. He said, none of these things move me. You telling me that I'm going to die there? And what's your problem? None of these things move me. And it's the same way he was in this prison cell. He says, it's waxing confident. These other brethren, many of them, are waxing confident by my bonds. Much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Now, I don't know all about that, but I have an idea that they're trying to contradict everything Paul preaches. So they are bringing up the gospel, but they're contradicting. I think that's what it's envy and strife. I don't know whether that's exactly what they're doing or not. And some also of goodwill. And so he says, the one preach Christ of contention. Not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Now, however that was, they were against Paul, these people that are preaching of contention here, and trying to add trouble, I guess, to get Paul whipped even more in prison. But he says the other is preaching it of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Whatever you all do, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to defend the, the truth of it. 
What then? What shall we conclude from this? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, you know, we, we don't participate in Christmas celebration in this church. Haven't for years. Actually, never since I've been here. And we don't like the paganism of Christmas. We preach against all of that. But I've asked the question. If I could stop all of the Christmas songs from being sung, would I? And the answer is no. There's a few of those songs that are scriptural. Why would I want to shut up whatever truth is coming out? I wouldn't want to do that. That's like, I use this illustration, the inscription on the cross. Now, Henry is not what was on the cross. You see that Catholic church on Man of War, they got a big old cross, got I-N-R-I. They say, that's what was written on the cross. No, it isn't. I know what it is, and it sure ain't that. What was on the cross was Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Three different languages. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, it's certainly more than four letters. So, they're lying about that. That's, that's Jesuit stuff right there. Anyway, that's calling for the persecution of, true, of uh, sound believers is what it's doing. Anyway, a lot of people won't believe that, but it's true, and I can prove it. But anyway, when the, Jesus was put on the cross, they carved in the wood, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Go through all four Gospels and you harmonize them, put them together, and that's how you get that. But now notice this. Was that the truth? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Was that true? It absolutely was true. Now, who put it up there? Roman? Emperor? Had it done? Did that change the truth? That a heathen wrote that. Didn't change the truth. Now notice this. Who were the only ones that wanted that changed up there? Pharisees. They're the only ones that wanted to remove that. And I don't want to be in the company of the Pharisees. But God worked in Pilate and he said, they said, put up there, he says he's king of the Jews. And he said, what I have written, I have written. God maintained the truth up there, and it just doesn't matter who said it. Amen. I mean, if the biggest heathen in the world spoke the words of the gospel, it would still be truth. Amen. 
So we need to we need to balance things a little bit, and there we are. All right, so however the truth is preached, I'll thank God for it. That's where we need to be. Uh, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That shows you that Paul wasn't really expecting to get out of all this. He said it's going to turn to my salvation. How? Because everything in my life, whether it's by life, or by death, Christ shall be magnified in my body. And that's what I was talking about this morning. God's blessed you with something. What are you going to do? Leave it to heathen children that are going to give it all to the devil. Or are you going to keep on supporting the Lord's work even in your death? You need to think about that because you're going to give account of that to God. I will and you will. All of us will. If God, it is, listen, Deuteronomy said, it is God that giveth you the power to get wealth and to get gain. And we don't have a right to give all that to heathen children. That you know good and well, they'll never, they'll never support the work of the Lord. You need to guarantee that before you die. Before you get sick and can't have, don't have any trouble, any uh, control over it. Then verse 21. Now notice all of the words in this verse. Uh, you got, you got to use all the words here. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You hear, all oh, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. No, that's not what it says. Paul said, to me, to live is Christ. Why? Because I am a born-again child of God. I am of the grace of God. And for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That ain't true for everybody. And you got to put that all in there. Uh, old Paul Kirkman said he's going to start a, a society. A preserve whole versus societies. He's against these partial verses being quoted. Uh, all that come to me I will no wise cast out. That's part of the verse. All that he gives to me Amen. shall come to me. <laughs> and him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Amen. That's a whole verse there. All right. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what or I know not. Now he's talking about living and dying. For I am in a strait. S-T-R-A-I-T. That means a narrow. I'm in a narrow place. I'm in a narrow fix. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a hard place now. Close place. You know the, uh, the strait of Magellan. It's a narrow place that ships go through. It's a straight, it's a narrow place, straight, that's what the word is. 
I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a tight fix now. Betwixt two things. Between a rock and a hard place. Having a desire to depart, that's dying. And be with Christ, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to to abide or to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. I'm not afraid of where I'm going. Sometimes you wonder how you're going to get there. I'm not afraid of it. I want to hang around and continue to preach and teach and be with my wife and family as long as I can. But I'm not afraid of going. Sometimes, if the Lord's will, I want to stay till I can, till I can't. That's what I want to do. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that I can be a blessing to you and teach you that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So all of these things can work together for good. I want to let your conversation, your conduct, be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. Live up to the gospel that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you all stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He's talking to this church at Philippi. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. They have no peace. They have no confidence in the Lord. That's an evident token of their perdition, their judgment. But to you, it is of your salvation and that of God. For unto you, need to mark this verse, it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Don't tell me that you're suffering because of your own stupidity or, or rebellion, and that's suffering for Christ. No, not hardly. But it is given to every believer, not only to believe, but to suffer for his name's sake. Now there's a lot of preachers that they believe that their, their ministries are a success. If they get through their whole ministry and never had any trouble anywhere. And that's what they strive to do. And that's why they wouldn't bring up any controversy on anybody for anything. Let everything ride. But that's not what Christ said. He says, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Not for your sake, his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So, Great book. Sure has a lot to say to us how we live.